I have a four-year-old. Four-year-olds are a lot of work. I say no a lot. I'm guessing a hundred times a day. No, Maddie, no, no, Maddie, no. I said, what did daddy say? Daddy said, no. Maybe that's why three and four-year-olds say no all the time. They just hear it a thousand times a day, so they think it's part of language. No, no. <laughs> Do you want some ice cream? No. I mean, it's... Um, a year and a half ago, I was really tired. I was putting in a lot of hours at Generations, and I got into a bad habit. I, um, I would occasionally let Maddie select a treat from Walmart when we went to Walmart. I've told you this before. So uh, we, we would go into Walmart, and uh, you know she could pick out candy or a movie, and eventually, you know where that road goes. That road goes to the, I'm going to demand and expect something every time at the store road. And so I had to nip, it took a year to nip that in the bud just because I got tired and I, I parented bad. But that gave me a bucket load of sympathy for this lady who was at Walmart. This was a young mom, clearly a 20-something, first-time mom. She had the grocery cart full of stuff. And she had a three- or four-year-old boy who was not in the cart but, you know, zooming around the cart. And so she was checking out, and then there was this lady between us, and I was the third person in line. And as she's kind of monotonously putting stuff on the conveyor belt, the three- or four-year little boy goes and grabs a package of M&Ms and holds it up just like this. Mommy, Mommy, can I have some M&Ms? Mommy, please, can I have some M&Ms? Please, please, Mommy, please, can I have some M&Ms? I just want some M&Ms. <sighs> Fine. Plop. Not more than 60 seconds pass, and this little tyke has a ring pop. <laughs> mommy, mommy, I want a ring pop. Please, please, please. Well, she obviously was going to draw a line, and she said, no, put that back. You may not have that. Then it went Nuclear. And everybody in Walmart heard that three- or four-year-old boy, little boy. Ah! Plop goes the ring pop. Checks out and leaves. The lady who was next in line who was between us, I'm guessing was a 70-something-year-old lady. And apparently she simply could not hold it in anymore. I would never let my grandkids behave like that. I can't believe these parents today, they don't know how to parent, and they let them do anything, and then when they become 16, they're blowing up the world, and blah, blah, blah. And the clerk is like, man, that's right, these parents today is terrible, and blah, blah. Everybody knew, man, she shouldn't have given him that ring pop. She shouldn't have given him the M&Ms, and, you know, it was kind of a conclusion. Let me let you, if you're a parent, let me let you in on something that's changed for you. Way back a long time ago in the 1930s and 40s, your business was everybody's business. If it had been 1930 and that had been the store and that little kid had wanted M&Ms, that lady would have spoken up, I would have spoken up, the clerk would have spoken up. There's no way the kid would have walked out of the store with M&Ms. It just wouldn't have happened in 1935. Somewhere along the way, the rules of engagement have changed. 
And somewhere along the way, your business became none of my business, and I'm not going to say anything to you, but I will turn around and tell my friends in confidence about you, because you're an idiot. <laughs> it comes, this is the way it works. Uh, you go home at the end of the day, and you find yourself saying things like, did you know that Bob at work, you know the stuff he's been buying? He's $300,000 in debt. No way. I can't believe Bob. What an idiot. Or I heard, I heard that, you know, Steve is sleeping around and stuff, and I don't think Lucy knows anything about, oh, you know. Or, or honey, you are not going to believe this, but. And then, punk comes a juicy bit of something. In the South, and this is why I love talking about this, in the South, we have a catchphrase. And you deploy this phrase after someone's name. Those of you at Generations, most of you are transplants, and you've learned this, right? You say the person's name. Let's pick a name, Charlie. Charlie, bless his heart. Bless his heart means Charlie's an idiot. As in... I done told Charlie that he can't get a job at the school district unless he's got his GED. He doesn't have his GED, but he went down to the district office, bless his heart, last Tuesday, spent 45 minutes filling out a job application, handed it into the secretary. You know what she said to him? Honey, you don't have a GED. We can't give you a job, bless your heart. <laughs> you spent 45 minutes filling this thing out. What would you do what would you do if you had a friend who was about to make a bad decision? What would you do if they had met someone and fallen in love and you knew that person was just going to cheat on them like no tomorrow? What would you do? Would you sit down with your friend and talk to them? These days, these days it's unlikely that you would. And, and I want to talk to you younger people for a minute. As a 42-year-old, from my vantage point, looking into the world of 15, 20, 25-year-old world, which is not my world anymore, you guys don't like to confront any of your friends ever. It's like you see them doing stuff and you don't want to tell them, and I don't know what it is, but it's just like anathema to say anything. Uh, and Andy Stanley has a, one of the most biting monologues I've ever heard him deliver on how we avoid confrontation as Christians. He says, this is how it works if you're a Christian and you have a friend who's about to make a bad decision or making a bad decision. What you do is you show up to Sunday school and you have a prayer request. In your small group, you have a prayer request and it goes along this lines. I need you guys to pray for Carl at work. Why do we need to pray for Carl? Well, Carl is doing stuff that, uh, oh boy, it violates corporate policy. I'm pretty sure it's probably illegal. And I think he's, he may get fired. We need to pray for Carl. He can't lose this job. Or, or I need you to pray for my friend Julie. Why do we need to pray for Julie? She is just like exhausted and she can't, she can't get out of bed. And she's got postpartum depression. You know what she needs to do? She needs to see the doctor. Okay. Have you talked to Carl? Oh, pff, no. Are you kidding me? That's not my, none of my business. Or have you talked to, have you told Julie she should go see the, oh, no, I can't tell her that. <laughs> but we're going to pray for them? Is that, come on, is this crazy the way we do this? This is crazy. 
We know someone is in trouble or they're going to get in trouble. And instead of talking to them, we turn around and talk about them to someone else. It's the craziest thing in American society that we have, I feel. And so uh, here's the thing. You and I, you and I have the potential to head someone off at the pass. When we see that they're about to make an unwise decision or an unwise choice, we have the opportunity to sit them down and lovingly confront them and hopefully spare them some regret down the road if only we would be willing to confront. Aren't there decisions that you made that you now regret? I mean, isn't there someone that you met and got into a relationship with and you're like, oh, if only my mom had sat me down or maybe not my mom, but my best friend. If somebody had just explained that he was no good or uh, that arm, you know, you got in your first house and the banker said, oh, this is no problem. And arms are great. You know, five years, you're going to be making a bazillion dollars. This is no problem. You can afford the payment and the mortgage and it'll be great. It's just sign here, sign here. Sign here. Another 25 times, sign here. You know, don't you wish somebody had sat you down and going, run away from an arm. The arm is the arm of death. It's going to come in and snatch you and take away your house. Okay? We've done that. And so I want to wade into this, uh, this idea of confronting someone and why it's important for you and I to do that. And it's found in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, Hebrews is this very strange book in the New Testament. It's a letter written to Jewish Christians. And uh, these Jewish Christians were confused. And they were thinking that maybe they'd be better off if they just set Jesus Christ aside and went back to old Judaism. And so that's part of the context of this letter. Um, And so the guy's making an argument in this letter that, no, 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 Jesus is better. He's better than Moses. What Jesus is doing is better than anything. You want to stick with Jesus in the Jesus way. It's better, I'm telling you. Just listen to me, okay? And so in this passage in chapter 3, he spends some time talking about uh, in the past when people would choose to not follow God's way, they would get in trouble. And then he says this in verse 12, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, be careful. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Be careful. In this context, he's saying that this isn't just about you and God. This isn't a Lone Ranger thing. Life is not something that you just live on your own looking out for number one. Uh, The admonishment here to be careful is to make sure that nobody in your group, nobody in your family, nobody in your sphere gets in trouble because all of us have the potential and the capacity to drift away from God. We all have that capacity, and that's woven into this passage. Um, Andy Stanley puts it this way. He says it's a sequence. What happens is at work, You get this job and you're told by the people higher up than you and the people around you, you got to lie to clients. This is just the way it works. I know that, you know, this isn't true, da, 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 but you just need to fudge. You need to fudge. It's okay. I fudge. We all fudge here in the office. It's just the way we do things. And if you're going to hit these sales numbers, this is what you got to do. And you feel bad about it. You do the first week, the first day. And then over time, what happens is you start missing church. Why? Because hanging around church thing kind of amplifies the whole, ah, dishonesty, ah. And so you just, you miss a Sunday and then you miss another one. And then before long, you're not in church anymore. And then you're saying things like, you know, those Christians are so judgmental. 
Or I can't believe, you know, I just don't believe this God stuff anymore. And really, it's not that you woke up one day and decided that you didn't believe in God. It's just that you got on a path and you started to drift. And over time, the drifting took you far away from God. And what he's saying in this letter is we all have that potential and that capacity to drift. It's a sequence. And so what ha- you just stop behaving and then all of a sudden down the road you stop believing and they're linked. And that's what he wants you to see and what he wants me to see. So what do we do? What do we do about that potential, that capacity in us to drift? Well, that's verse 13. You must warn each other. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. As an outsider, so to speak, and you look at your friend and the relationship that she's getting into and you see the fact that he's not going to be good for her, or you have a friend and you know that the job he's going to take is going to require him to put in 200 hours a week and he will sacrifice his family. It doesn't matter what the recruiter told him. It doesn't matter what was promised in the interview. You know this because you worked there. You have an obligation and a responsibility to warn them. And the word used here can mean several things. To appeal, to beg, to urge to exhort, to appeal, to beg, to urge, to exhort, warn people. That's a responsibility that you and I have. And the funny thing is, as a pastor, what happens in churches is that churches typically make it the pastor's responsibility. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've gotten, Pastor Max, I need you to talk to my mom. Why do I need to talk to your mom? Well, you know, she's dating this guy. And da, 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 da. Pastor Max, I need you to talk to my wife. Why do I need to talk to your wife? Well, da, da, da. you know, how's come you haven't talked to your wife? Or how's come you haven't, you know? And, and the, it's not just my job to, to be a minister of confrontation. That's actually your job, too. All of us have the same job description. Um, and so I, in, in light of this passage, let me ask a couple of questions, all right? If it's the case that God really does want us to warn others when we see that they're about to walk off of a cliff, uh, let me ask this question. Is there anyone right now in your circle, in, and I'm not talking about your nuclear family, because sometimes, uh, sometimes confronting within the context of an immediate family gets messy. And, and let me acknowledge that by saying this. When it's your mom, when it's your son or your favorite uncle and you sit them down and explain something, often what they hear is, I stink, I stink, you think I stink. And they're not hearing the warning or the exhortation. They're just hearing, I stink. So understand that that's a dynamic that can play out a lot of times within families. Okay, so that's my caveat. But setting that aside, in your circle of friends, the people that you run with, is there anyone that you see who's going down a bad path? Or about to make a bad decision? If so, have you said anything? Or better yet, to turn the tables, who in your circle has the power and permission to speak into your life and to, to point out to you, hey, I don't think you want to go down that road. Hey, whoa, watch out, be careful, slow down. Is there anyone who've you given, whom you've given permission to do that? I have people in my life that I've given permission. A while back, a number of them, they were, they were in, 
stereo, loud and clear. Max, you're not in a good place. Max, you're not in a good place. You're too frazzled. Max, ding, 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 danger. And ding, I had to stop myself. I had to take stock. Why? Because they saw something and they were warning me. Okay? Well, how do you do this? All right? Let's get into some nitty-gritty for a moment. How does this work in real life? And, And here's the practical advice of the message, so to speak. First and foremost expect that it's going to be awkward. It just is. When you sit down with Charlie to explain to him that he really should have gotten the GED and he's not going to get the job, it's, not, you know, it's going to be awkward. When you sit down with Julie to explain she needs to go to the doctor because you think she has postpartum depression, it's going to be awkward. When you sit down with, okay, it's going to be awkward. Just expect it. You'll have a nervous stomach. Your palms may get sweaty. It's normal. Okay. Second thing is this, before you uh, make this decision to sit down with them, check your motives for a minute. Why are you confronting? If your personality is such that you're what I call a machine gun mic, you just, you know, when you see somebody making bad, you just, it comes out of you anyway, you know, you can't help it. It may be that you need to check that more, okay? But what are your motives and why you and not somebody else? Um, because the words and content are still going to be tough, but if the relationship is right, they're going to understand that I'm not threatening you, I'm not trying to control you, this isn't about manipulation, it's because I love and I care about you, and I'm concerned. You're going down a road, you're going down a path, and this is what I see, and I'm worried about you. Right? Do you, do you hear the tone? Right? Um, so check your motives. That's, a, that's, a, that's another good practical thing in this mix. Uh, the next piece of advice is this. Plan out what you're going to say. If you're going to actually sit down and confront someone, I found that it's, in, it's helpful to actually think through some key phrases that you're going to use. Why? Because words can sting. And you want to be careful that you're using the right words and the best words. So plan it out. Um, I, I follow a pretty typical path. And, and as I'm telling you this, I know some of you will probably cringe because you've been on the receiving end of this. And you'll go, oh, that's what that meant. Ooh. Okay. This is the path I take when I'm going to confront somebody. I sit them down, and the first thing I do is I explain to them why I like them. Hey, you know, you're an important person in my life. Here's why you're important. Here's why I like you. Here's why I value this relationship. Then I take a moment, and I say, I talk about the issue at hand. This decision, this habit it sure seems to me that it's taking you down this road. And it sure seems to me this is where this road is going to lead. And then where I end up is simply asking the question, are you sure this is where you want to go? Are you sure about this decision? Are you sure? I just want to make sure you're thinking this through and seeing everything there is to see about it. Why? Because I love you and I care about you. You can steal all of those phrases or none of them. That's entirely up to you. The last piece of advice is simply this. Risk it. Don't let fear win out over love. Risk it. Uh, And sit someone down. And and let me give you a couple of examples in my own life. When I was finishing seminary, I had a buddy uh, who uh, was going to get involved in a tremendous economic opportunity. Yeah, read Pyramid Scheme. Okay, he had a third shift job, his wife had a day job, 
And it was back before the internet was really big and a lot of other stuff, and it was when they were deregulating the phone companies. And this was, this was some kind of weird phone service that you would sell to your friends. This is what that was, all right? And, and so he tells me he's going to do this. And I'm like thinking to myself, pyramid, you're going to be at the bottom of the pyramid. You know what you're going to be? You're going to be a slave making mud bricks. And at the end of the day, you're not even going to have the mud bricks to show for it because it's going to go to Pharaoh. Okay. But did I say anything? No, I didn't feel like the relationship was strong enough. And Jenny would, I would blather this to Jenny and she would do the prophet thing to me. Why don't you talk to him? And I'd have all my reasons and excuses. Do you know what they did? They both quit their jobs and did this. A year and a half later, after the financial carnage of losing their home and other stuff, they finally were able to enter back into ministry. Should I have said something? Yes. (laughs) I should have said something. I have another friend. Uh, This friend... Uh, was going through some therapy at the time and really kind of discovered that, um, not that they didn't know this already, but they were able to verbalize and understand why, that their parents were very disapproving of them. And their younger brother was the favorite of the family and, and all the ways that this played out. And they realized they were really angry and they had some issues. They had some real grievances against mom and dad. And so they had the really keen idea that they were going to write all this down and mail it off to mom and dad. And I'm thinking, ah. So I did. I sat them down, and I remember the conversation. You don't want to, you know, if it's like anything bad really should not go down on paper or email because it will come back and eat you. Okay, just, you know, if you, here's how you should probably do it. You should have a conversation with them. Don't write it down. Please don't write this down. Don't mail it. You know, you don't want to do this. Da, 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 da. Ah, okay, Max. Okay, Max. You know what they did the next week? They mailed off the letter. (laughs) Okay. And then two weeks later, after I'm, you know, putting their skin back on, okay, from the nuclear family explosion of death. I'm surprised they were even invited to Christmas. Oh, the letter. Okay. Um, Now, in that particular situation, I did my responsibility. I warned. Did they still walk and go off the cliff? Yes. But was that my responsibility? No. They make their own decisions, but I did my part to warn them. And so the good news for you and me is when we do this, when we wade into this ministry of confrontation, you've done your part, and it's up to them to take it. Now, on the other hand, I would say eight times out of ten, when I sit down with somebody and I confront, they really do pause and think about what they're doing. When it's done in a loving way, when it's done with the mindset and the heart of, I really care about you, and I'm really concerned about this and this destination, and I really want you to think about it. Please think about this before you commit, before you ante up, before you agree to take the job, before you accept the ring, whatever it is. And it's amazing how they really will take that to heart and think. And here's the thing. If we say that we love people, love does that. Love confronts because love has the other person's best interest at heart. 
not just the whole, well, I don't want to get involved, it's none of my business, and I don't want you to be mad at me. I'd rather have a really good friend mad at me for a few weeks than really mad at me for a few years because I knew this was coming and I didn't say anything. That's the worst thing in my book is when I hear one of my friends say to me, well, I could have told you that. And I always think, well, if you could have told me, how come you didn't tell me? Didn't you see my arms fell off and I bled to death? (laughs) Okay, so to appeal, to exhort, to urge, to encourage, you must warn. I hope you will take a ministry of confrontation into your friendships because it's worth it. 